All right, here we go. This is the Off Duty On Duty podcast, episode number 80. Eight zero. <laughs> I'm your host, Brian. Welcome to the podcast, part of the concealedcarry.com network. The Off Duty On Duty podcast. We take tell. <sighs> We take topics relevant to today's gun owners and we tackle them from the perspective of concealed carriers and law enforcement officers. You know, you'd think after 80 times of reading that, I'd have it down by now. Uh, today, I have a special treat for everyone. Today, I'm joined by Justin Dial, dialed in training, Wayne Dobbs, and Daryl Bulky. And we are going to devote this entire episode uh, to the legacy of one Mr. Pat Rogers. So, uh, just a recent anniversary of his uh, his passing. So, we're going to give you uh, three dudes that trained with him pretty extensively, and uh, I got a, a couple of questions. We're gonna we're gonna just honor the man and the legacy. But first, today's episode is brought to you by EDC Belt Co. The Foundation Belt. Check them out at ecbeltco.com. CCW safe. The most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team. If you want 10% off your membership, uh, use code OFFDUTY10 at checkout. Oh, what else? The Guardian Conference. Guardian Conference 2022 is right around the corner. Last the other day I checked the early bird pricing was still up for Guardian Nation and non-Guardian Nation members. Uh, it's a great time. Uh, Wayne, that's going to be joining me here in a few, he's going to be there teaching. I'll be there teaching. The belt company will be there. It's it's going to be a fabulous conference. The guys at concealedcarry.com, my, my brothers Riley and them, they work really hard to put on what I feel like is like the probably like the premier training conference for uh you know open enrollment so uh you know it's not ttpoa or any of that it's uh it's for everybody and uh they do a great job with it so that links in the show notes the concealed carry podcast giveaway the network gives away some good stuff every week uh this week richard won some ready up gear 16340 rechargeable batteries uh the next thing up for grabs is a swat t tourniquet so uh sign up weekly to be in like engaged in the uh giveaway and uh like i said they're giving away a lot of great a lot of great training aids and medical gear and and hats t-shirts everything but uh sign up weekly and we'll get you in on that with without further delay three minutes into my intro uh let's bring in our guests and we're back all right so on the show joining me are three people who were uh i don't know if you would call it uh disciples of the uh somewhat church of pat rogers but uh all three guys trained with him extensively and uh given it it was the recent anniversary of his passing i thought what better to do to pay tribute to the guy than have uh have you three guys on uh so we got justin dial wayne dobbs and daryl bulky and uh i'm just gonna kick it right off so let's let's start with justin uh let's tell us your most influential pat rogers story like the one that had the biggest impact on you okay well I, you know a couple of caveats as i start my time here first you know pat had more friends than anybody i've known before or since 
And so I'm certainly nothing special, but I was honored to to count him a close friend and, and absolutely a mentor. So, uh, you know, just to put it out there that there's dozens, maybe hundreds of folks who could you know, do this just as well or better than, than, than I. But uh, just, you know, one thing on Pat, uh, the editor-in-chief of the American Rifleman told me somewhat recently, he said, hey, there's, you know, not a lot of guys that can shoot at a high level, and there's not a lot of guys that can write at a high level, and there's not a lot of guys that can train at a high level, and there are almost no guys that can do all three. And so not only was Pat that, uh, but he also had a breadth of experience that made him a, an absolute snowflake outside of his, you know, larger than life personality. You know, a Vietnam, decorated Vietnam Marine is a, is a very young man into, you know, kind of formative special operations years as a reservist and as a, uh, you know, contractor, uh, decorated New York uh, cop. And, of course, you know, doing some work with some of our uh, agencies, uh, you know, doing things that are probably still redacted. And so, I mean, just a, an amazing life, an amazing experience. But in, in terms of influential, the one thing that, um, you know, Pat really helped jumpstart the carbine craze in the early GWAT uh, days where everyone kind of realized, hey, you know, patrol rifles or just carbines are the way to go. And the training wasn't widely available. And so he fed that demand and really kind of catapulted it to the next level. And as he did that, there were two things in particular that he, that he really imprinted on the training community that we take for granted today. They're just part of the background. But he was really kind of, you know, one of the guys pushing the rock up the hill. And the first was that as you seat the magazine, you would, you know, push and then pull to make sure that it was seated. Because you know that as, you know, folks that are not super well spun up on the system, most of the, the errors are operator errors. And one of the most frequent is you fire a shot and the magazine falls out of the weapon because you didn't push then pull. And so that was not pervasive, you know, when he first was kind of hitting the road with this stuff. He made it so. But he did it in a way that as only he could, he could combine humor, shame, and community in a way that no one else could. So, you know, inevitably there's some chucklehead on the line who has the misfortune of like firing a shot and then, you know, a loud thump as his magazine hits the deck, you know, with a firing line of let's say 20 shooters and life stops as this person looks down with, you know, deep shame. First it's confusion. Then it's deep shame at, at you know, cause he probably forgot the transition uh, probably, you know, didn't, didn't reload it if he didn't transition to a, to a, a pistol, let's say. And Pat would, you know, descend on this poor, unworthy soul. And, and he would, you know, just kind of sound off in a theatric voice for the masses, this little, you know, this little leprechaun. And he would say, you know, oh, no, I must be a bad instructor. Here it is, <laughs> 1,300 on training day two or training day three. And I must have forgotten to cover push-pull. And, of course, you know, the whole firing line is like they're secretly just glad that it's not them. And, and then, you know, he's, he's going on, and this, this poor shooter is, is both smiling because no one can dress someone down like Pat in a way that would stick. But I, I guarantee you there's, there's hundreds, maybe thousands of real-deal high-end operational shooters or enthusiasts 
to this day, when they see someone's magazine fall out of their, their carbine, they instantly think, oh, no, I must be a bad instructor. And like <laughs> it plays in their head. And, you know, he came up with the patch, the moosecock. <laughs> and, and here we are, you know, 10, 12 years uh, hence. And I know that there are people that this patch that they got for screwing up is, is like one of their prized possessions. Because he, like I said... You know, the rest of us mere mortals, you know, we, you know, get a little, get a little course with a student or a shooter and, you know, it's, it kind of hurts their feelings. But with Pat, it was a badge of honor that they had been dressed down by Pat Rogers and it had changed their behavior. And they have this memento of the event, you know, this moosecock patch or, you know, people that never got a moosecock, you know, buying a t-shirt and proudly wearing it, you know, to the range, you know, probably 10 years from now. Uh, so that was that would be my most influential, uh, you know, the way he could combine just a master instructor at every level, the way he changed the face of the training community and, and the way he could do those things. So that's, that's my kickoff. Well, thanks for that one. That was, a, <laughs> that was awesome. That may bleed into part two as well, but, uh, let's see, Daryl, what do you got? Most influential Pat Rogers story or, you know, the, um, <laughs> Pat and I got to share a lot. Uh, we spent a lot of time on the phone. I'd gotten hurt pretty bad as a cop and was home all the time. The benefit to being home on the t- all the time was you know, Pat didn't dr- didn't fly, so he'd be on these massive road trips driving across the country. And you know, I, I was always an easy person to call to pass the time for road trips. So Pat and I share a lot of time on the phone together. And, you know, the one thing that probably sticks, um, there's two things. The day I met Pat in person was visually, it it really anchored things. As you know, some some folks I knew, I mean, I knew of Pat, had been following his writings. I I was a a Pat Rogers fanboy, but I'd never met him up until 2000 or somewhere around there. And he was down at Camp Pendleton training, and I was with Doc uh, uh, Gary Rogers, uh, was headed down there with with Gary to do a a presentation on wound ballistics. Because we were talking to Marines, so Gary needed to have somebody with him to verify he wasn't making up stories about what bullets do. And somebody, uh, uh, mutual people said, hey, you want to meet Pat Rogers? Absolutely. And I remember seeing this like horde of guys, you know, these just jocked up force Marines and their green Nomex flight suits and all their gear. And this four foot nothing thing comes out from the middle of them and says, Hey, Pat Rogers, president of me. I'm looking at him going, you're not Pat Rogers. (laughs) There's no way. And, And if you've never heard his voice in person either, you know, he's, he's got this like whistly voice and sounds literally like a New York leprechaun. And I'm like, there is no possible way that this is Pat Rogers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it turned out it was great. You know, he was so welcoming. We spent some time together and it started off a real long-term uh, friendship and mentorship. But the one most influential thing that I think stood out with Pat is, as Justin stated, and I add to that, there's people who are good shooters. There's people who are good instructors and there's people who are good operators with a lot of experience. You don't find them that hit all three. 
And as somebody told me once about Pat, he goes, Pat's a green side, black side, blue side killer. And you don't find those either. He was truly a leprechaun. There was just not a lot of guys that had the experience base with him, but who could also were incredible teachers, incredible, you know, very accomplished shooter. I mean, he really had all the bases covered. And, you know, in all honesty, it caused a lot of jealousy in our industry uh, from people who don't have all those things. You, you know, for as many people as adored Pat, the list is probably equally as long as a lot of people who I think were just flat jealous of Pat and tried to cut him down. But with that, one of the big things was Pat was his TTPs thing. You know, Pat had this way of you always set gear up correctly. You always set your, your equipment up correctly. Your trade, there was a whole, Pat was obsessive about it. And I was blessed to have had an in-depth talk to Pat about why that is on the, the seminal moment in his career. And he had a situation that ended up in an officer-involved shooting. And during that shooting, his partner was shot. And his partner got shot, which Pat fully blames on himself. It probably was remotely as much his fault as he took the blame for. But it was simply of moving his backup gun from one place to another out of convenience. And it was just kind of out of a little bit of laziness. They were headed from a restaurant back to the station to gas the car. And he never moved his uh, backup pistol back into his coat pocket because it had been hanging on a wall at a restaurant. They didn't want the gun in the pocket while the coat was on the wall. And he just grabbed the coat, threw it on, went back out. And on the way back to the station, they end up in a pretty, pretty, pretty bad situation uh, that that ended well. Uh, for Pat, but his, like I said, in the process, his partner got um, got shot. And Pat carried that as a 100-pound weight on his shoulder because he did something different and out of a little bit of just... And, and it, it, you almost can't say laziness. It's that you just didn't take the time to do the little bit extra because you didn't think it would matter. And it was one of those moments where Pat says, you know, it, it, it always matters when you don't think it's going to matter, which is why he drove so hard on getting people to subconscious levels of competence. What you do, uh, I, I use Pat quotes in my presentations on uh, forming good habits that a lot of what we do, everything, you know, practice makes permanent and it makes permanent habits. And Pat always wanted you to be putting in habits, not things that were going to get you hurt down the road or make bad decision making because you formed, because you've allowed a bad habit. So if anything else, it was really kind of clarified for me how important that subconscious level of doing is and how on why on sort of the why behind Pat on why he put so much time and effort in to getting people's how you set your gear up, how you carry things and how you uh, manage yourself every day. And, but, you know, unlike most people, you know, we, most of us gain knowledge through failure and we gain wisdom through applying proper knowledge and you know that was the moment pat went from he gained some knowledge but it was at the expense of 
something that hurt him deeply yeah. is and that that to me was probably one of the things that really carried over to me on Pat is the way he is because of real blood getting shed to be that way versus the typical theory fantasy, you know, uh, people sitting around, you know, thinking stuff up in their head rather than that getting anchored in, in uh, real blood on the street. So cool, man appreciate that one and i you told that story of the officer involved at, at uh, the revolver roundup so which was exceptional uh so wayne what do you got the most influential pat story i don't know if i could <clears throat> pin it down to one story it was uh you know daryl's alluded to it so is justin it was his way of being uh for one thing pat was a, a little brooklyn myth buster buster is what i saw him as because what he did was he came up with a set of manipulations and a set of administrative practices that flies in the face of, uh, of much of the conventional wisdom. And I, I watched it this last week, helping teach a class uh, to the nation's premier federal law enforcement agency, if that tells you anything. Uh, and it was like push-pull was a foreign land. Um uh, and you were seeing magazines that wouldn't stay locked on or, or get locked on. And I immediately was thinking of Pat, just like we said, I must be a bad instructor, uh, not doing that. Another thing about Pat that, uh, you know, besides the fact that he had a package of TTPs on, on what you did and how you did it, uh, something that was really relevant to me and was relevant to what I was doing this, this past week was the pistol transition. And he pointed out, that we condition people not to transition to pistols uh, when a carbine goes down for one reason or another. And we condition people not to do it because to make it easier on the firearms instructor cadre, we'll teach them all of the manipulations of, of clearing malfunctions and reloading at the seven or 10 yard line. So that student is embedding that, Hey, if I'm at seven or 10, it's okay to try to square away a carbine that's gone down. And I'll never forget as long as I live, I saw him do it two or three times People would be at seven yards, a carbine was down from a malfunction or, or it had run dry or whatever. And they would be standing there pulling and tugging on a carbine, trying to straighten it up. And Pat would walk down the line while they were doing it. And he would sit there and give them a stare while they were doing that. And he'd say, oh, no, don't save your effing life with a pistol. Try to unfuck that carbine. <laughs> and he would sit there. And they would sit there and not listen because they were already in the loop. You know, everything had gone sorry. So they were kind of stalled mentally. And he then he would say, here, I'll save you. And he would pull out his pistol and, and shoot up the target for him. And by this time, you know, the whole line was like shaking their heads at this poor guy that, that was trying to do something he shouldn't have done. But, you know, his, his influence on telling what is the real world truth about how you manage carbines and to a lesser extent pistols was, was massive to me. And I, I carried it around with me. I taught it, uh, for several years, I taught an armor's course. I taught, uh, M4 armor courses for Colt, And I would, uh, I would throw some pat knowledge in there and it was astonishing how many people 
believe that if the M4 wasn't completely clean and and they would they would think clean and dry was the way to make it run. And I started I, I, a couple of times I would get a chance to demonstrate if there was a range at, at where we were working. And I would say, Give, bring me a clean, dry M4 and three magazines of ammo and let's go to the range. And without fail, in two or three, two and a, two to three magazines, that carbine stopped. And uh, I was like, you got, we had some various uh, graphic ways of describing what kind of lubrication needed to be on the carbine at times. Uh, all of them sexual, of course. But uh, <laughs> it, um, the fact is, is that there was, he, he put a lot of information out there that actually worked instead of what was thought to work. And he had tested it, uh, you know, in the crucible. Uh, so, you know, the, the whole thing about Pat was not just one thing. Uh, it wasn't just one story. It was the whole being. And Daryl talked about the, the, the talk, the talking, uh, about every week to 10 days, I'd look at my phone and Pat Rogers was calling me and I'd always shake my head and say, I can't believe Pat Rogers is calling me. And there would ensue an hour and a half or two hour conversation. And it was always gold. So that's, that's my recollections of, of important stuff. Thanks to his, uh, final lecture. I, I haven't cleaned a carbine in like four years. So thanks for that one, Pat. It's <laughs> lubricated. No, that was, uh, thanks to you guys for all of those. Uh, the next one was kind of a wild card. I said, I said, I want to hear the funniest Pat Rogers story. And given the, uh, the base of information that you all have laid to this point, it may be hard to top. I don't know. It may have already be out there, but, uh, let's kick it off with Justin. Tell me your funniest Pat Rogers story. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can do that. The, uh, especially cause Wayne set me up. This is like, you know, like we're like volleyball. He set me up for the spike here. Um, but before we get there, just because, you know, it's, it's been a few years and folks may not know, uh, one of Pat's got a bunch of great articles and, and a lot of them are out there on the Web. Uh, but the one of like one of the things that he was known for was Filthy 14, which was a Bravo company, uh, EAG carbine that, that he ran, just kept adding lube and ran it, you know, I think 25, 30,000 rounds. And there's an article about the first chunk of that experiment, which lasted, I think, a year and a half, two years. Um, but an article covers, I think, the first 20,000 rounds or so. And it's you can find it on uh, BCM's website. I think it's still up on you know, Swamp Mag or whatever. But it's worth the checking into for folks to just get a taste of, uh, of some of Pat's writing because it was, it was one of a kind. But you know, Wayne was talking about the I'll Save You thing, which w- was a feature of almost every class, right? And, and so, um, you know, the, the reality was that at least on the East coast, I, I never got to attend any of, of Pat's stuff on the, the West coast, but on the East coast, wherever he was, he was reaching out to, uh, to, you know, some of his, his friends and basically say, Hey, I'm going to be here and here, just show up and shoot if he had any extra seats. And so, you know, a lot of us were at a lot of classes and, and most of us were, you know, just there as his guests getting to get ready for deployment or, or whatever it was. And so I'm down, I I would always set up on the far right because um, that's just where he would put me. And he jumped in, he had, uh, I forget who was AIing that particular class, but he he jumped in next to me and we were shooting some of the non-standard responses, you know, where everybody's kind of, or failure drills, we were, you know, ripping up the targets at close range, um, maybe seven yards or so. And so 
you know, like I said, like I said, you know, cool moment, you know, you've got Pat Rogers shooting next to you. Um, my buddy, Jeff, that was the chief instructor for the North Carolina, uh, uh, troopers was, uh, he was taking some photos for us because one or the other of us was going to use it for swap magazine. And, and so we're, you know, making it rain brass and Pat's carving stops. And, you know, if you're in the business, you suddenly have this cognitive dissonance of, am I a firearms expert slash consultant who needs to see what's happening to this, this implement, you know, there's that piece of you. Or am I a student who's supposed to do the TTP? And, and there's this kind of disconnect of which way you're going to go. And so Pat got caught in that decision loop. And as he's kind of staring at his carbine and Jeff starts, starts laughing, I basically, I shout you know, as loud as I can for the firing line, don't worry, I'll save you and, and, and transition over and just start just, you know, working his target, <laughs> you know, from, from belly button to forehead. And, uh, and of course, at that point, he starts laughing and, and you know, pulls his uh, at that time he was shooting a Smith and Wesson MP 45 and starts blasting. But, you know, just laughing at that, you know, we kind of caught him in his own bit there, uh, which was which was really great. But the say it was the same class and one other quick one, uh, you know, Pat loved a great story and he had so many of them, both from his own life and from everybody else's. But watching him tell a great story is particularly when you were you know there for the <laughs> the the uh the real thing was uh, was something else because in an earlier class uh, there was someone who had no business being in a carving class both temperamentally physically ideologically i mean just the, the whole gamut the person really should have not been there and he was borderline heat exhaustion he was just he was this guy's this, this is famous in Pat Lord, but the guy nearly shot me. He he kind of lost the bubble when some hot brass hit him and he squealed. And this guy was, I mean, he was 350, 400 pounds if he was an ounce. And, you know, big old guy and was like super tough guy uh, before class started. But, you know, that hot brass hit him and, and he squealed like a little girl. And, you know, uh, there was no way I was getting in front of that guy's muscle. And so it was probably my brass that hit him, honestly. But he, you know, then stitched up the ground right in front of me as he was, you know, swapping, swapping for the for the brass. But Pat would tell that story and he would he would have the entire class in stitches, um, you know, because he the colorful descriptions of this individual and why he wasn't welcome in any future, uh, you know, EAG classes on the NFE list, so to speak. Uh <laughs> anyway, I can't do it justice. Just to mention it there, I'll, I'll cede my time to the to the gentleman from the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Very I saw classy. Those pictures. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Darren, Daryl, what do you got? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little different route on this because I've been privy, like most of us, sitting around with Pat telling funny <laughs> stories especially Pat top stories. My favorite one, many people have heard, but I can't, I'm not going to do it on a radio podcast while there are still probably, uh, you know, we haven't reached the end of the term of prosecution being statute of limitations. Still good. Yeah, we, yeah. We're, we're probably still within those. So 
Um, I'm going to actually go a different route. And I want one of the funniest Pat things was actually didn't involve Pat directly. One of the other heroes of the gun world that I followed for years as up and coming in this business, I read every single article. I just mentioned it to Cagle today. Cagle's got all my gun books. We didn't put them in storage. They went into storage in Cagle's living room. So right. he's going through all my old books. And, you know, I had mentioned, I said, you know, one of those guys, I just really kick, kick myself. I never got a chance personally to train with, but I read everything he wrote was Louis Auerbach. And David goes, yes, you own every single Louis Auerbach publication ever done, you know? And so at SHOT Show several years ago, and it was right before, uh, Louis left us and I finally got to actually meet Louis Auerbuck and kind of like Pat, he couldn't understand a word he was saying. Uh, he was actually far worse than Pat. You could understand it was just funny. Louis, I, you know, if you have any level of hearing loss uh, and his accent and everything else, Louis was a tough one to understand, but I finally got to meet Louis and we had all taken a big picture for Pat to send him with, kind of a whole bunch of Pat's kids with Louie. But when the first time I ever met Louie, uh, it was kind of a nice little meeting. And I said, you know, I always wanted to meet you because I wanted to see the person who Pat saved your life. And if anybody's familiar with the rattlesnake story, it's on YouTube. It's worth every minute of watching. And Louie burst out in this tirade of profanity about Pat. Ah, fucking Pat. Yeah, yeah, I mean, every F-bomb, every word, there was probably some sort of South African sort of, uh, you know, language dialect of slang bad words in there. But Louie lost it. I'm so tired of Pat telling that damn story about the snake and stuff. And, you know, it was funny because I got such a kick. It wasn't so much with Louie because the reaction was classic of just Louie completely losing it. Because, you know, when you meet people at SHOT Show, it's usually this very sort of professional, high pleasure to meet you and a bunch of glad handing and stuff. So the, the first thing I said was, you know, I always wanted to meet the man that, you know, Pat saved from the snake. And Louie just lost it. There was no level of professionalism and <laughs> said every bad thing in the world you could say about Pat. And what was funnier is I immediately, of course, called Pat. I said, hey, Pat, guess what? I, I just got to actually meet Louie Auerbuck in person. He's all, oh, yeah, how's Louie? I said, hey, I introduced to myself and I said, hey, I always wanted to meet the man that Pat saved from the rattlesnake. And you guys all know Pat's laugh when 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 he was dying. And Pat couldn't speak. He was laughing so hard because it was like one more little little harpoon he could put into Louie without even being there because they always had such kind of this, uh, you know, anybody who knew the two of them, I guess, said, you know, I, you know, I'd love to get like a Ken Campbell take on that. It's, apparently they had sort of this funny relationship because you could always listen to them talking about each other where, you know, they absolutely adored each other. But there was also that, uh, it was almost like the short guy rivalry. 
in, in there going on. And, you know, experience level was probably similar in that, like, nobody had Louie's experience. You, know, you couldn't right. find another Louie, you know, out there. Just like trying to find a guy like Pat experience-wise, there are not a lot of them working around. So I'm sure those two always had a bit of a sibling rivalry of the two little guys with all this crazy experience. But I will never forget Pat just dying because it's like, yeah, I sent out one of my minions. You know, <laughs> one of my minions got Louie again. <laughs> you know? nice. So that's, that's one of my funniest recollections. Minus just funny Pat stories because you could kind of do those over and over of Pat New York PD stories. Um, and, you know, it's been fun actually talking to some of the guys uh, in the last several years running the, the memorial for Pat or Revolver Roundup is talking to some guys who worked with Pat. And those stories are almost funnier than some of the Pat stories is when people are telling stories about Pat who worked with him. And, uh, you know, pretty good stuff. Very, very, uh, you know, Pat was just, there's there there was only one. They broke the mold with, with Pat, that's for sure. So. That's my funny Pat story. Well, Wayne, what do you got? So when you're in the law enforcement training world, like our government training, like all of us are, have been to some extent, you know, that what you say and how you say it and to whom you say it and the crowd that you say it to is uh, pretty sensitive these days in that <clears throat> some of the things that used to get said or done uh, would get you fired today. Uh, but I'll never forget every time I went to a carbine class with Pat and he would start his briefing of, uh, his safety briefing and his manipulations briefing, he would always, and I've never, I don't think I ever saw him do it a single time. He would always somehow segue into people that have been shot in the junk. And (laughs) (laughs) it was like that. And, and it was like, I have personally seen this many people shot in the cock. <laughs> <laughs> and there would be, there was invariably, you know, a female or two scattered around. And I, every time it would happen, I would just sit there and, and kind of turn away and inwardly cringe all over because I was thinking if I said something like that, they would hang me from the nearest tree as first chance they got. But, but Pat could pull it off. Also, he would talk about, <laughs> I'm sure all of us remember his description of the, the naked man uh, in your house that needs to be NSR'd as he comes down the hallway. And the description of how excited and turgid said naked man in your hallway was and how he was coming to get you. You <laughs> <laughs> just be like, holy shit, you can't say this stuff. Matt. But he did it and everybody's like, hey, this is great, man. This is the greatest story I ever heard, you know. <laughs> Well, thanks to Haney McMood, I know what the word turgid means now. So, uh, yeah, I mean, considering this is his podcast, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't know if y'all knew that. Uh, that's that not a Pat story, but a funny aside uh, at TACCON year before this one. Uh, a guy came up and walked up to me and Haney McMood, young, younger kid. You know, I say kid, he was probably 30. And he looks at me and he looks at Hanny and he looks at me and Hanny walks off and he looks right at me and he goes, you're Brian. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's me. And he goes, you're the guy on Hanny's podcast. So, uh, you know, just when you think you've made it, somebody comes along and just slaps you down. So, 
So the last, the final question, and uh, Wayne, I'll, I'm going to kick it off with you this time. It, it, it could be from instructor standpoint, life, whatever, something you learned from Pat that you want to see perpetuated, you know, just with in, indefinitely. Uh, his devotion to fundamentals, his devotion to teaching proper manipulations that were robust and that would, would stand up to uh, a stressful situation. And I, I'm not, don't want to, this would be the last thing I don't want to go down the list and take away from others. Uh, Pat put people together. He, he has caused astounding networks to be established. So that's, that's what I hold on to about him. Justin. Yeah, I want to, I want to dovetail on, on what, uh, what Wayne just mentioned. The, uh, there's a concept out there that's, uh, you know, Collins has it in his Collins is big. Uh, I think it's Jim Collins. Big like business leadership guys on the reading list of all the you know, big military reading lists, uh, but he has a concept of what he calls a level five leader, which in turn is based on John Maxwell's five levels of leadership, both worthwhile. But a level five leader is a guy who is such an accomplished leader that other leaders are drawn to him to be developed themselves. And so, um, you know, Pat was that guy. There is. If you look around the industry today, and, and not just the training industry, but the you know the kind of the, the higher end, more effective gear industry, you'd be hard pressed to find. Um, it'd be kind of like whatever it is, you know, however many levels of Kevin Bacon. You'd be really hard pressed to find people that didn't get their big break or get the the confidence to take the leap or or you know uh, get connected with the right guys. Lane, as Wayne was saying, you know, because Pat put people together, but he had, he was the most amazing talent scout in the business. And he was at that stage of life where it wasn't competitive for him. He didn't need to be known as the best shooter. He didn't need to be known as, you know, his accolades didn't matter. It was all about growing the, growing the pool. Right. And he could ID talent from 10 miles away and, and well before anybody else and then nurture it and help develop it and connect it and place it in the right place. You look around the industry, there's a lot of people that they're in a job because Pat put them there. Or there's a, a huge piece of gear that's on the market because Pat went to that company and encouraged them to do it. And I mean, it's everywhere. It's truly everywhere. And it wasn't about the money. And that's where, you know, we're in kind of a weird place. I think just kind of influencer world, et cetera, where too many of the folks out in the industry, I get it. People got to make a living. But it's very competitive because there's an instructor behind every bush. And, you know, they're promoting things for a lot of righteous reasons, but there's dollar signs attached to who promotes what and, you know, clickish and all this other stuff. And, and you know, with Pat, he was well past that stage of life. And so he constantly promoted other folks and, and helped, helped them uh, get their place. I mean, me personally – um, you know, my first writing job was because he saw something I wrote for, uh, you know, on the Marine Corps side and said, Hey man, would you like to write? And I said, yeah. And so he said, whatever you want to write, you write it, swaddle print it. And that was, that was a huge open for me. And then after a while he decided that, that I needed a bigger audience and he went to the NRA and said, Hey, I've got a guy that, that you need to have writing for you. And so <laughs> they, uh, they gave me an interview. And, and so, you know, you know, in, in my case, uh, the stuff I've done in the industry is is all because of Pat. And 
you know, my kind of, you know, East coast circle of friends is, is much the same story everywhere you look. There's, you know, he was absolutely a level five leader in that respect. And, you know, the shooting world, it has what, you know, what I call bloodlines. Cooper, Jeff Cooper was a level five leader. If you look at all the people that worked for him, they all became hugely influential guys on their own later on. And if you look at the kind of the current industry in the, in the training world, not the, not the, you know, razzmatazz sizzle stuff, but you know, the solid stuff, try to find someone who wasn't either directly connected to Pat or heavily influenced by him, you know, good luck. And so, you know, me personally this year, that's one of the things um, that I've tried to do in classes is consciously call out other talent and connect people to other resources and not, you know, not about me, but to try to push people to as many other people that are you know worthy of their time and attention as possible. So, yeah, that's kind of that's where I'd uh, that's that's where I'd table it. Cool. DB, what do you got? You know, it's it's now a different answer. I'm going to pile on with with Justin on sort of a 180 on that because Wayne and, and Justin hit that so well. It's one of the other things Pat did, and you know, as we've kind of said, Pat had a lot of enemies in the industry, also. <laughs> and one of the things, as well as as good as Pat was at identifying uh, talent. Boy, Pat could put in a surgical missile strike on BS. And <laughs> there weren't a whole lot of guys better than Pat who could and everybody's laughing because you know. <laughs> man, if Pat if Pat put the laser designator on somebody, because <laughs> he, he could and, and you know, it's all a lot of them are the most influential influencers we have out there. But, ounce of experience doing much of anything other than industry influencing it's not building other people up it's not nurturing and mentoring instructors it's not that it's all self-promotion and boy pat was hell on those folks as far as inside of his circle um you know when when pat called it that hey this guy is coming up or i'm seeing this and that person's full of garbage you know i guess all bs uh, you know, I, I don't ever remember him being wrong. And, you know, there were some people who were some real up and comings with whatever resumes that were made up and this. And Pat was usually the first one to sort of flag that as that 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 guy's spewing crap. And for a lot of us and for even Pat, in all honesty, those aren't good business decisions in this business. Um, I'm sure a lot of us, if we followed those same paths, could be making actually a living doing this stuff that none of us are making. Because, you know, Pat sort of set a standard. If you wanted to be in his circle, you had to sort of carry a certain set of morals and ethics and set of personal you know, uh, guidelines that fit that all also don't tend to fit in how to make a lot of money doing this stuff. And Pat kind of held you to account that there's a greater good in this and it isn't wrapped up in dollar signs. And, you know, I think a lot of us have benefited as people 
by doing that. I know I can speak certainly for Wayne and I, we probably send more business to other people than we take in ourselves. That came from Pat because Pat made it okay to do that. You know, Pat's like, you know, you don't have all the answers. You know, you're never going to get, you know, because again, he was one of the big time trainers and certainly one of the few of my mentors that actually went to everybody else's training. I've got a couple mentors in in my book that don't go train with other people because there's so much crap out there. They don't feel like waiting through it. But by the same token, Pat was out there on a regular basis as a student in other people's classes. He didn't need it. It was Pat was very good at adapting to what's going on in the world. And he, he, it, it really had his, BS meter tuned to a fine level because it wasn't like he wasn't exposed to, you know, because a lot of us get into what worked in our day or what worked in our experience bubble. And some of us have a lot of experience in a bubble, but we don't have it all. But Pat would get out there as a student. So his BS meter was really finely honed for what people were pitching as BS versus, well, wait, this may be a new different way of doing things that does have some validity to it. It's not how I did it. It's not what we did in my day. It's related to some, maybe some piece of gear we didn't have or technology we didn't have, but Pat understood how to really separate out and truth test things. And it was a great gift to get from Pat. It's as much a curse as it is a gift. Cause you know, you, you sit there and, and, uh, Go, you know, I'm not going to do. I'm not going to go down this road because Pat wouldn't be proud of me if I went that way. You know, Pat would never be, you know, accept me if I went down that road that might have some dollar signs in it or some popularity or whatever. And it, it, Pat made it cool to not be popular. You know, to not make popular calls, to not make, uh, you know, subject your personal, uh, you know, people making fun of you, people, you know. Uh, fact checking you, you know, you know, Pat and I were investigated together as, uh, you know, by the POW network as frauds, you know, it's like, yeah, whatever. Okay. And you know, the people who spurned it were the biggest frauds on the planet, you know, because it's a jealousy thing. And, you know, so you, it, it, it was, Pat was just so unique. Um, and, and it's so unique. It's so many different things. And like all of us, he's got, he had his, his bad stuff and his good stuff, but boy, the influences he made on all of us was, was truly incredible on kind of how to live your life and how to separate good from bad and how to separate sort of fact from BS. And it, it, it we, we learned a lot from Pat on how to conduct yourself. Well, I'm going to play a quote right here in the post and then we'll, uh, we'll go all enjoy our family time and you know, libation time, whatever it may be. But, uh, this one really stuck with me and I, I found it, uh, found it today and I figured out how to put the audio bite on my mixer. So I'm going to play it for everybody. And we all have different expectations and what we want to learn at the end of the day, we have to be able to acquire information, good, solid, basic information, because everything starts and ends with the basics. Advanced classes are only the basics executed more consistently and under a tighter time constraint. If you cannot master the basics, you can't master anything. 
All right, thanks, Justin, Wayne, and DB for coming on for episode 80. Paying tribute to a just a, a giant. Reminder, check out the sponsors, EDC Belt Co., CCW Safe, get 10% off your membership with code OFFDUTY10. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. The Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.